As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our latest lovely batch of listener questions. On today's show, we're learning what Casemiro brings to Old Trafford, what a co-ed pro league would look like. We'll consider Ronaldo's next move, if there is one, and we'll discuss our biggest WTF moments in the soccers. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who deserves a welcome as big as the one Delhi Ali got at Besiktas, Taylor Rockwell, hello. Ooh, I'll take that. I haven't even seen it, but I'm going to assume it was a raucous good time, and I would like that as well. Could everybody start cheering, please? Uh, yay. yay. <laughs> hey, raucous. All right. Uh, if you haven't mm. seen it, Taylor, it is oh. like every other welcome that uh, a foreign player tends to get at one of the big uh, Turkish clubs. It was um, big. Yeah. I mean, I, there, there definitely is a, ever since the welcome to hell, Galatasaray, Manchester United moment, it seems like there has been... A, a recognition that they have to keep that reputation going, all of the Turkish clubs, and they do, and they're pretty, uh, pretty rowdy when it comes to big signings. I think those people actually, Ryan, were just was that was just the cue for non-EU passport holders. Now that <laughs> the UK's left, <sighs> great. As someone who regularly travels between the continent and the UK, don't get me started on those lines <laughs> and the long one I have to join now. Uh, listen, you just heard in there, it's the inaugural president of the Malik Tillman fan club, Graham Rutherford. Hello. Hello. He has been so good. Every week, the, 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 the hype around Tillman just cranks up that little bit more and Joe's one-man campaign to stop Malik Tillman <laughs> getting on the plane to, camp, to, to Qatar looks all the more foolish. Just, just give into it, Joe. Just, just give me his ticket. I am being painted in an unfair light. That is all I'm going to say. I'm getting um, it on Twitter. I'm getting it on this show. It's coming from all sides. I'm Listen, enjoying it. Refer to Twitter if you want to know what on earth uh, Graham and Joe are talking about right now. But Graham has been getting handy uh, with his Photoshop skills. Is that fair to say, Graham? Uh, that's The sad thing is that's probably the best Photoshop job I've ever done in my life. And I'm not entirely sure that uh, <laughs> I'm getting a job at a Premier League club Twitter admin anytime soon on, on the back of those skills. Fair enough. Well, Rangers in the Champions League group stage and the draw has actually been doing as we record today. Um, Celtic in there too, is that right, Graham? Is both both the teams in your town going to be in the Champions League? 
That's right. Two Scottish teams in the group stages of the Champions League for the first time since 2007. It doesn't happen very often, but to be honest, both Celtic and Rangers are pretty good at the moment, so it doesn't surprise me that they've made it that far. But obviously, the the competition in the Champions League proper is very stiff, so I'm a a little bit nervous, particularly about Celtic, uh, in terms of how they'll actually get on against some of the really good teams in that competition. Indeed. And rounding out our pack, by the way, listen, you just heard him. It's the man who needs to give me his opinion on something I'm going to spring on him right now. The TikTok kickoff. Joe Lowry, have you heard, heard, heard of this concept? No, what is the TikTok kickoff? So it's something I saw on the Guardian website today. Um, Kylian Mbappe's goal against Lille, the seven or eight second goal, is apparently a, 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 a tactic that has been going around and has gone viral on TikTok. It's been attempted by a few other teams. Bournemouth apparently started it off. They did it last December. And it was apparently a routine that was actually devised by Scott Parker's assistant, a guy called Matt Wells at Bournemouth. Basically, where the player kicks off, passes it to a teammate on the edge of the centre, uh, receives the ball back. He lays it off to another player who hoofs it behind the defence for Kylian Mbappe to poke past the goalkeeper, basically. And this, Joe, is... A TikTok thing. So are we to believe that Christoph Goethe gets his uh, tactics from TikTok? Tactics TikTok, easy for me to say. Wait, so did this strategy originate on TikTok or is the idea that it's so short that you could put it in a viral TikTok? I don't understand. Why didn't the Bournemouth coach give the tactic to Bournemouth rather than his <laughs> no, TikTok they have, followers? They have done it. They have done it. Bournemouth have done it a couple of times, apparently. All right, and, okay. and, and t- but it's it went viral on TikTok, so. the clips of them doing it and saying, this is a good idea. And then PSG looking through the TikTok going, hmm, let's try this this weekend. That's- I mean, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm totally here for it. These ideas are going to spread just because we're not in the 1950s when it takes a decade for an idea to get from South America to England and from England to Italy. I think we're in a different era now. I just like the idea of all these sports teams going just wild on TikTok. I saw Brentford absolutely obliterated Manchester United with a number of different posts after that 4-0 win a couple of weekends ago. So I'm just generally, so far at least, here for clubs going a little crazy on TikTok. Yeah. Feels very 2022 for a team to literally devise its tactics from uh, children on social media. It does. It does. Wonderful stuff. All right. Listen to question time, guys. Let's get straight into it. Zachary Bates has been in touch. And by the way, totalsoccershow.com slash questions if you want to send us a question. We get wonderful questions all week long. Please do join the pack there, as Zachary has done. Uh, Zachary says, how much does the addition of Casemiro change Manchester United? Though he occupies a similar area of the pitch to Frankie de Jong, who, of course, was United his most public summer pursuit he seems like a very different style of player do you think this move would improve United how would Casemiro fit how does Casemiro fit in Ten Hag's tactical ideas uh, Taylor Rockwell we've got a five time mm. Champions League winner joining United um, backbone of an all time great Real Madrid midfield I think you could probably say got a couple of good seasons left in him at 30 years old do you think so how, how does this yeah. work out for United Sure. Uh, I will add up front, I am a Manchester United fan. I know listeners know that, but I always want to acknowledge that bias ahead of time. I look forward to Joe and Graham's answer to this question because they may well disagree, and I might listen to them more than I would listen to me on this one. Uh, But I say all that because I have come around to the idea that this signing is a very, very good signing for Manchester United. The fee aside, it's a very, very high fee, but I look at what he will bring to this team, and I think it makes them better, certainly. I think he brings a winning pedigree, a lot of experience, obviously. 
But I also think Eric Ten Hag, in the last three games, the Liverpool game in particular, has figured some things out. And I think Casemiro allows him to play Eriksen and Bruno together more effectively. I'm not sure Frankie de Jong would have done that. I think Frankie de Jong would have required them to play a different style a little bit because I think he's better at carrying the ball forward, at progressing the ball, at finding those passes. Casemiro, to my mind... He's basically a player who's very good at a lot of things and then exceptionally good at a few others, notably reading uh, the opposition attack and his own defense and recognizing where there are vulnerabilities. He's really good at providing cover, at shielding that back line, but is good on the ball and is good with his passing. I think he had the 19th best pass accuracy in La Liga last season. 86% though is a pretty high number. So I think he will basically be a defensive shield who can put out fires, who can cover space, and who can help retain the ball and keep possession and keep the ball moving effectively. So I think he does bring a lot into that midfield. I now look forward to Joe and Graham dunking on my bias. <laughs> I I have mixed thoughts on, on Casemiro. So obviously he's a, he's a, he's a, brilliant player and has been a key part of that Real Madrid team for, for so long. But Zachary is right in that Casemiro isn't exactly the sort of midfielder that Ten Hag primarily wanted. I, I still think he can help United rebuild that midfield unit. So as as a passer of the ball, Casemiro is actually pretty decent. He's in the, the 65th percentile for progressive passes per 90 minutes. But but that was only one half of what Ten Hag wanted from a, a new midfielder, primarily Frankie de Jong, who was his, his top target. He wanted someone who could carry the ball, and that is what de Jong is so good at. And De Jong is in the 93rd percentile for progressive carries per 90 minutes. Casemiro, on the other hand, is only in the 36th percentile. So that, that's quite that's quite a big difference in profile. Casemiro's not going to pick up the ball, dribble past a couple players, break the lines and, and create space for himself and for his teammates. That's just not what he's going to do. He might do it with a pass, but as I say, that was only one half of what Ten Hag was looking for. This is where I think Fred could come in. So as, as, as a lot of listeners will know, Casemiro and Fred play together in central midfield for Brazil. That is their their first choice partnership in the centre of the pitch. Fabinho doesn't get, well he still plays some games, but when everyone is fit, it's Casemiro and, and, and Fred that's the partnership. And the thing that's interesting about that is unlike at, at, unlike at United where Fred has generally been used at the base of the midfield, Brazil use him in a slightly more advanced role. And I'm not saying he's going to become a, a number 10 for Manchester United, but maybe he is now the one who's going to be charged with carrying the ball forward with Casemiro providing the, the protection in, in behind. It, w- it would... It would surprise me if Manchester United haven't looked to that Casemiro-Fred-Brazil partnership when when making a a move for Casemiro. It also wouldn't surprise me if Ten Hag now looks at his centre-backs to see more of the ball than would have been the case if if De Jong had signed. I I think that can work, but Ten Hag is going to... He's going to have to compromise with this Casemiro signing because it wasn't the player that he originally wanted. The good news for Manchester United is that Ten Hag has adapted his style a number of times as a manager. His his Ajax team that made the, the semi-finals of the Champions League and lost to Spurs played a, quite a different way to the, the team that impressed last season. So he is capable of playing in a number of different ways and maybe the way that his Man United team plays this season is different to what he envisages. But I still think in the immediate term, Casemiro is a good signing. Yeah, I mean, so th- there's a there's nuance here, right? And so Taylor, you led your discussion with setting aside the transfer fee, which is a totally fair way to look at how Casemiro will impact this team this season. I'm not so ready as a neutral to set aside some of the financials of this deal and then I'll dive into the player stuff, which I think I agree with a lot of what's been said. From what I've read, Casemiro's contract with United is until June 2026, 
with an option for another year, which would put him in 2027. That will make him at least 34 or 35 by then on some really high wages when his skill set is largely built on reading the game and reacting quickly and engaging in challenges. That's a long time for a player who's going to decline year over year, most likely. That's a concern. So I I don't love this move for Man United because of that contract stipulation. Maybe it doesn't matter by then, right? And that's kind of the risk that Manchester United is taking here. Maybe they've rescued the club. Maybe they're in a situation where they can afford to carry Casemiro at that point, and it's not a problem. Right now, they they can't. And so hopefully you're getting a Casemiro that is the same one, or, or a better one even than the one that's been with Madrid over the last couple of seasons. If we set aside the financials and the length of this deal, which I don't love, I do think this move very clearly improves Manchester United. Casemiro is still a useful player. He has some mobility. I mean, think about Edson Alvarez. I don't think his name has come up yet in this conversation. He's someone who sat a little bit deeper for Ajax last season. He would occasionally join the back line. He's not great on the ball, but he's he's capable on the ball, which is how I would describe Casemiro. Not super press-resistant. But he's a force in transition. He reads the game well. He can progress the ball, isn't totally reliable, likes to hit long switches. That's Casemiro I'm describing at this point. But I think Manchester United can use Casemiro. Now, I don't think he is going to fix this entire team, but he gives Manchester United structure, which is a big part of what they need right now. And then over the next one transfer window, two, three transfer windows, Eric Ten Hag can build on this structure that hopefully Casemiro and Martinez will give them in their spine and work from there. That, that's one of my concerns with this signing for Manchester United. Joe, you mentioned his age there. And in, in the immediate term, he fixes a problem for Manchester United in that they've had no midfield protection for their back line for, what, like four, five seasons since right. Matic was, was at his peak. So he fixes a problem in the immediate term and it's going to take Manchester United two, three windows at least to fix other areas of the team. But by the time they've done that with other areas of the team, it's entirely feasible, maybe even likely, that Casemiro's level has dipped and then he becomes a problem and they have to go back to that foundation to work on that while they fix the rest of the team, if you know what I mean. It's, it's almost like they needed the play, They need players that they can sign and put in positions and go, okay, that's that player for the next five years so that they give themselves a chance to fix other areas of, areas of the team. I'm, I'm not sure Casemiro does that in the long term. Maybe not in the long term. I think I would agree with that. Uh, I think my my bias allows me to believe in the idea that maybe he's that player who moves on at a veteran age and then just keeps playing until he's like 38 and it's all fine. Uh, That might be wishful thinking there. But uh, short of that, I will say in the short term, I think there is something to be said. Ryan led it with the introduction about how much he has won, how successful he's been for both club and country. And I think looking at that current Manchester United team and seeing how short they are on confidence, there aren't that many players in that team who have won a lot recently, at least. And I think you have a person who comes in. I equate it with like your mother-in-law staying with you for a week and like maybe dishes get done a little bit faster. Maybe things don't sit in the sink. Maybe you vacuum a little bit more just because there's another person in your space. And I think of him coming into that team and I just think there's guys in there that probably haven't been pushed the way they should have been or the way they could have been. And now you have this consummate professional who's won everything everywhere. I think it makes you step your game up. I think you have to be a little bit more diligent a little bit more disciplined. I think maybe you do some more dishes if you're Luke Shaw. Maybe you do a little bit of extra running. And and I do think that profile and that just sort of demand for excellence, I, I think, raises the squad, at least the chemistry, a little bit more as well. That's the that's the theory, though. But in the past, my United have signed similar players, similar winners who have been successful at other clubs. And they have they start off great. So I'm thinking of Angel Di Maria here, who has that 
was his debut at Leicester. I can't remember if that was his debut or if that was just his, his first really good game for Manchester United. But he started excellently. They signed Varane and there was a similar theory last season, signed Ronaldo. And I take your analogy about the dishwashing, but it feels like at Manchester United, the person who's used to doing the dishwashing wa- walks into the house and goes, hmm, nobody in this house is doing any wa- washing of the dishes. I'm going to I'm gonna do that as well. And they just kind of get engulfed by the culture that already exists in that house. <laughs> well, no one's told us how to wash dishes, Graham. That's the problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you just put them in the washing machine. Just my nation should buy a washing machine with all that money that they spent on Casemiro. I, I hear, I hear everything you said there, Graham. I would, I would note that unhealthy Maria is a special case. I was reading the interview with his wife where she talked about how much she hated Manchester and how it was dark at three p.m. and there was it was joyless and everybody looked like they were porcelain. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. So I think maybe he, from the outset, was not destined for a long career at Manchester United. Hopefully, Casemiro destined for a relatively long career at Manchester United. The, the only person who hates the north of England more than Angel Di Maria's wife is uh, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> All right, uh, Taylor, <laughs> one, one final question from me. Do you think the addition of Casemiro gives United like a realistic chance of finishing in the top half of the Premier League? What do you think? <laughs> top half. <laughs> I was ready for top, top four. four. Top half, I mean, you know, they're out of the relegation zone right now, so uh, I'll, I'll take that for, for a start. I think it gets them closer to, to top four. I think that might be a challenge this season, though plenty of teams are slipping up, so you never know, you never know. Indeed, this season be crazy. Thank you very much, Zachary, for that question. Uh, this is a Man United uh, themed section of the podcast. Jake Schroeder has got in touch to say, of the clubs currently qualified to play in the Champions League for this season, what is the most realistic club that Cristiano Ronaldo could land at should he be allowed to leave Manchester United this season? So, Graham, we've spoken Rangers. about yeah, well, maybe they are in the pack now after all. Um, we have <laughs> spoken, Graham, about. Um, Ronaldo's uh, attempts to leave this summer and he's not played his hand very well I think is the uh, is the consensus among us uh, looking at the bookmakers for his next club the favorite is Sporting Lisbon a return to Sporting uh-huh. Lisbon apparently not sure I see that happening just yet if at all what do you think Graham I I thought there at a point I thought there might be some legs in in the Sporting rumors uh, but maybe only on loan because I, I can't see how Sporting could pay Ronaldo's wages on loan if United pay some of the wages I get I guess maybe that would ease those concerns and you could sell him sell it to him in a, in a certain sense he would he'd go there and he'd, he'd feel wanted again obviously it's a club he has an emotional connection with he'd be back in Portugal so I'd imagine that would appeal he would still be playing in the Champions League maybe even challenge for a, a league title it was only two seasons ago that Sporting won the Primera Liga in, in, in Portugal it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Just reading the the trustworthy reports, there, it feels like there's nothing solid there. Stylistically, I thought Atletico Madrid was the best fit for Ronaldo when that rumor surfaced. They they generally stay compact. Yes, they 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 can press from the front, but they don't do it all that often. And and they play with two up front, so Ronaldo could have. Yao Felix, for example, an international teammate with Portugal, around him doing the leg work. And then staying compact when Atletico Madrid are, are out of possession. So stylistically, I thought that could work. Obviously, Madrid is a city he knows very well. But we all know why that one didn't happen either. The Atleti fans weren't weren't particularly enamoured with that rumour. And I think that put an end to, to that speculation. I think had AC Milan not given Zlatan another contract extension, I wonder if they, they might have gone for him and that you could you could feasibly play him in the Zlatan role in that team and it would and it would work in theory, but do they want two aging Egos in the same dressing room fighting for the same position? Pro- probably not. But 
I, I would be in favour of Rangers or Celtic. <laughs> I think that would be hilarious. Well, Ronaldo in Glasgow would be funny. I can just imagine him queuing outside the Blue Lagoon Chippy under the Central Station Bridge, and I wonder what he'd think of a deep-fried Mars bar. I think there's a lot of people who don't have a clue what you just said, Graham, but uh, it sounds wonderful. Um, I've got an idea to get um, Ronaldo to Rangers or Celtic. What if uh, he signs for Barcelona, they obviously don't register him, so he becomes free, and they just take him? What, like kidnap him? <laughs> Something like that. In a van? Yeah. They just say, Isn't that how it works now? They can't register players, so if I could just take them and do with what they like with them, make them wash dishes. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. <laughs> All right, uh, Joe, what do you think about this one? Yeah, sporting is is the one that I could sort of see happening of all of these. I, I can't imagine him, like Graham said, with Atleti at this point. I can't see him anywhere else in Spain. I can't see him in the Bundesliga. Milan doesn't work in Syria. Inter just signed Lukaku on loan. And Juventus, we've kind of been there, done that. So, I mean, where, right? I honestly don't think there is a clear option here. Sporting Lisbon, again, strikes me as the most intriguing spot. I don't know how, how likely that is to happen either. For me, far and away, the most likely outcome here is that he stays at Manchester United, plays 1,500 minutes, and then we go through all this again next year when it's time for Ronaldo to find a club. The sad thing about Ronaldo this summer is that if he ex- if he just accepted his own mortality and accepted what he can and can't do at this stage of his career, there, there probably wouldn't be a, a team in European soccer that wouldn't want him because he can still play a role. It's just that he wants to be at 37, the main man on the huge wages playing for the best teams. And that just limits his options to pretty much zero at this point. And and I think Graham, to double down on that point, it's also that like it doesn't seem... Uh, to my mind, as though he's a player who wants to come in and adapt to the system and, and do new things or high press. It seems like he wants to be a center forward who gets the ball, who scores goals, who doesn't have to do much defensively, and is kind of allowed to do what he wants. And maybe that's my me being frustrated with him, but I feel like that's kind of what he has become. Uh, and so I think if... To your point, if he were able to accept, yeah, he's going to be a super sub who's going to come in in the final 20 minutes of a Champions League game, and maybe he gets that hero goal when you're just kind of throwing everything and seeing what happens. I think there are many, many clubs that could use him or would want to use him. But to Joe's point, I look at every single club in the Bundesliga. Uh, Bayern have already ruled themselves out. Dortmund, I think, are, are trying to build a system and a style, and I don't think they then want to pause that to incorporate a player who doesn't necessarily fit that style or hasn't shown that he wants to fit that style. I think Atleti made a ton of sense, but then they ruled themselves out. And I think that's what we're seeing is clubs that sort of would make sense ruling themselves out. And I think it's for the reasons we've already discussed, a lot of it relating to his personality. And and I think Milan is probably the answer. Maybe Chelsea. I'm not sure how realistic Chelsea would be uh, in terms of a destination because I don't think Manchester United would want to let him go there. But I think it's basically clubs that have shown a willingness to bring in more veteran players if they can still get the best out of them, and I think that is Milan. But short of that, I don't really know if he has another destination aside from Manchester United for this season. Maybe they make the Champions League and then he sticks around. And if not, then I think Joe is correct. We do this all again, or maybe he ends up at MLS. But his objective desire to... Uh, I guess get what the top scoring record in the Champions League means that I think he's going to be hanging around for a little while trying to get that record. Yeah. Inclined to agree there, Tater. So if you had to bet on his next club, Tater, um, what do you think? Would it be in Los Angeles or Miami? Which one? It's a tough one. 
I feel like Los Angeles. Even I don't know who has what in terms of designated player spots, but uh, Miami also, I, I guess, appeals. It's got the Beckham connection, the Phil Neville connection. So maybe he'll end up. Maybe he'd end up in Miami and just uh, be like the ninth DP over there. Why not? <laughs> so many Nevilles there as well. So many Nevilles. So little time <laughs> in Miami at the moment. Thank you very much, Jake, for that question. Uh, quick break time. It's recess, guys. Get a Capri Sun. Go and run around the playground for a little while, and we'll be back uh, after this one with some more listener questions. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. Brian Hansen's been in touch, everybody. A lot of soccer news revolves around big money transfers, says Brian. Locker room drama, billionaire owners, etc. and so on. But the human element is my favourite part of this gosh darn game. Are there any moments, big or small, that have brought you to tears of joy or sorrow? And Brian notes that Graham could be excused from this question. <laughs> Mr. Handshake on the wedding day, if you were. Uh... I'm unfamiliar with this concept called emotion. Indeed. I mean, this makes me think straight away of um, the sensation of being relegated as a club, which I've experienced twice in my lifetime. Um, that's quite emotional, I would say. That brought me toy, uh, toy, toys of sorrow, tears of sorrow. Um, and the one game I think that made me the saddest was the 1997 FA Cup semi-final, Wimbledon against Chelsea, where Chelsea won 3-0. Gianfranco Zola scored an amazing goal. It was at Highbury Arsenal's ground, and I left. I think I was crying. It was a bad day. Um, I can talk about some good ones too, but I'll hand the floor over to Taylor Rockwell. Man, I appreciate you handing the floor to me. I kind of forget that, like, I think I went straight to, like, the joy aspect of this question. Graham and Ryan have had some trauma in their football fandom careers. Ryan especially. I sort of forgot about the MK Dons ripping the heart out of your club and moving them away. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to guess that also maybe brought a tear or two to the eye, Ryan. I, I had I'd pushed that so far down that it didn't Oof. even cross my mind. But yes, obviously that is the ultimate one, Taylor. Man, ah, man, I, I am sorry. I make jokes sometimes, but that is that's not fun. I'll, I'll say Taylor. I, I think I've mentioned it before on on a, on the podcast, but that was so bad that I actually stopped watching soccer for a little while as well. I just didn't like the game anymore. It took me a couple of years to get back into it. Totally honestly. But Ryan, Manchester United are only sort of good these days. Do you understand how hard that is for me? Okay, anyway. Um, I would say... McFred, Ryan. McFred. You don't get it. <laughs> it's, it's really frustrating. It's pretty much the same thing, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to quickly move on before Ryan actually comes through the internet and strangles me. Oh. Uh, I, I did like lean towards the happier side of things. And there are little moments, both two of them relating to leads, strangely. Uh, the, the video of Jesse Marsh celebrating their like last minute win last year with the bench yeah, and the crowd too. behind them those are the moments I live for I love just seeing how much it means to people because it is at the end of the day it's a sport you're kicking a ball you're trying to kick a ball into a net 
it's not that complicated. It's not that important. But at the same time, it is the most important thing. It, I forget that old quote. I won't even try to paraphrase it. But that that is sort of – it's that constant reminder of how much that sport means to billions of people across the globe and then how much it means to U.S. fans. I will say reading the most recent post-match Reddit thread for a Leeds game and seeing how many people – we're just all about Tyler Adams. A lot of them Americans, certainly, but many of them clearly not by the way they wrote about him or the words they used or the spelling. It, it also brought a tear to my eye genuinely because seeing a player that appreciated by Premier League fa- fans is not a thing I ever really expected to see from a, an American so consistently. And so that was really, really exciting. But the one that will forever bring a tear to my eye, a happy tear to my eye, is the reaction video to Landon Donovan's goal in the uh, 2010 World Cup. The kind of montage, it's set to the Rudy music, which is definitely a reason why it's so memorable. But the montage of people around the country going crazy. The uh, the grandmother in the airport bar losing her mind when he scored is my favorite one. But uh, if you haven't seen that one, check it out. It's tough not to get emotional when watching that one for me. Yeah, um, you've just reminded me of probably the best uh, video clip I think I've seen. It doesn't actually have any soccer content in it, but I don't even remember when, um, I think it was when Liverpool won the title and Bleacher Report put out this cartoon of a little boy being taken by his dad to the ground. Oh, yeah, I remember I'm that. I'm actually choking up. I can't even describe it. It's making me choke up, but it's him growing up and growing up and his dad getting old and then his dad disappears and then him taking yeah. his son to the ground. I'm, I'm sorry, I've got to stop talking. It was like a football Pixar film yeah is what that was <laughs> yeah that was absolutely sensational graham i'll, I'll turn it to you for us keep crying <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know whether this is just recency bias bias but I, I think back to the to the euros the men's euros last summer um i don't know if this fits into either tears of joy or sorrow strangely but when scotland walked out for the first game at that tournament i had a strange reaction to that i say strange because i'm not particularly uh, patriotic in any way really but there was a lot folded into that moment so I, I think first and foremost was that the in the UK and, and in Scotland the Euros was the first public event we'd had after the worst of the pandemic and even then there was only 5,000 people inside Hamden for that game the tournament had obviously been postponed for a year there had been chat that Glasgow might get the games taken away from the city, just like Dublin had had matches taken uh, relocated due to the, the, the strict COVID restrictions in the country. We had pretty strict restrictions, and so UEFA had considered that. And then on, on top of all of that, this was Scotland back at a major tournament for the first time in 23 years. And I, I was a kid when Scotland had last played at a major tournament in 1998, and now I'm a, 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 a grown-up with a child of my own and everything like that, so there was there was kind of a, my own mortality mixed into that moment as, as well. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that sticks in my mind, and uh, as I say, I'm genuinely not very patriotic at all, but I was aware of some sort of salty discharge seeping out of my eyes when Scotland walked out for that first game. Uh, Unusual for me. You had a lacrimosity syndrome, Graham. I think that's what we call yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's what it was. It was a medical condition. Yeah. Was that a was that a deep cut Seinfeld reference right there? From me? No, from from Graham. What is this salty discharge coming out of my eyes? Because he too is unfamiliar. Oh, with it Graham. is. <laughs> it is actually. Yeah, I'd forgotten that was from Seinfeld. I knew it was from something. Yeah, it's from Seinfeld. Oh. Uh. Joseph Lowry, do you have anything to add to these tears of joy or sorrow? Yeah, I had leads. No no actual tears coming from any of these moments, but moments that I think really genuinely impacted me from watching games. And, and there'll be things that I remember in the midst of all the games and things that we've talked about over the years that I won't remember. 
One of them is is Leeds escaping relegation last year. Uh, the others, so one of them is is Euro 2020. It's Christian Eriksen collapsing at Euro 2020. Oh, that yeah. not just that moment, which was jarring. Like that's how I would describe that moment. I I got up and was like pacing. I didn't I didn't really know what to do. You're not expecting to see a player collapse when you watch a soccer game, and it was incredibly jarring. But then also, the the joyful part of this is the response, right? The response in that moment and how quickly a lot of folks acted, and then the response as news broke that he was in the hospital and he was responsive, and as news broke of him coming back and signing and playing games again in the Premier League and, and all of those, even training, I believe, back in Denmark, all of those steps and just the response to each one of those steps along the way was heartwarming. It was a reminder that that people can be kind to each other and encouraging to each other, and I think we always need more of that. So that was one for me. And then another is, it, w- it was sort of anticlimactic, Taylor, but the U.S. qualifying for the World Cup in this cycle with the, the loss to Costa Rica on the final day, but basically just having enough to get in at that point, and they were always going to in that game. That was a cool moment to see sort of the conflicted emotions from players who wanted to beat Costa Rica in that last game, but also understanding, hey, we did it. We didn't do it last time. We did it this time. It was cool to be able to watch that unfold and sort of experience it with other people, Taylor, with you and I on the show and with other people online. I mean, a lot of those things were were really, really neat. So Ericsson, the World Cup uh, qualification for the U.S., this this most recent time and some of the Leeds moments, all of those do certainly stick out in my mind. Yeah, I think I completely agree with Brian in his assertion that his favorite part of the game is the human element. I think it's why we love World Cup so much, that sort of collective uh, togetherness that it brings and the, the, the intense emotion that victories and losses can have. And I think it's why I like that Liverpool video, that cartoon I described so much, that sort of circle of life walking to the stadium thing, because it's something that's just really beautiful and really human at the same time and and, and, um, and almost subsequential to the game, but really beautiful. And I think one more thing I'd mention in that category is uh, the life of Sir Bobby Robson. And I've met, I know I bang on about him a lot, but there's a documentary called Mesquite and Manager about Bobby Robson, which has got uh, Ronaldo R9, it's got Josie Mourinho, it's got uh, Pep Guardiola, Alan Shearer, all these people who worked with him who just talk about what an incredible, incredible person he was. And, you know... I, I just get choked up talking about him as well. Not, I believe he's not only one of the greatest managers of all time, but also one of the greatest people, one of the greatest man managers. He's, he's, I think he's everyone. He's everything you should be in life. He's, he's honor, he's kindness, he's humility, he's success. So once again, if you haven't seen the Bob Robson documentary, I recommend you look him up. He's a jolly, lovely fellow. He certainly was. Uh, Brian, thank you very much for that question. Let's go to Kuleen Patel. Is there or has there ever been a pro co-ed league? If a new one were to be created, who would play in it? What would it look like? Which countries would have leagues? What would the co-ed World Cup look like? Uh, this is an interesting question, Graham. Obviously, there's a lot of co-ed sports out there. You think of tennis, mixed doubles, volleyball, mm. pickleball, which we're all playing because we're all cool. Um, <laughs> but I, I, in, in theory, I don't see why you shouldn't have a pro co-ed league because sports, and soccer in particular, should be based on ability, not gender. But I don't think there's one out there is there at the present? I, I, I couldn't find one. Certainly a, a professional co-ed league. I'm, I'm sure there's a co-ed league. Well, there'll be local and regional co-ed leagues, won't there, at, at, at kind of grassroots levels. But professional, I, I don't know if anyone else on the, uh, Taylor or Joe, you found anything otherwise, but I, I couldn't find a professional co-ed league. It's, it's funny that this question comes up because, just now because um, 
I've been looking at, I wouldn't say I've been watching it because uh, I don't really like the sport that it's based around, but I've been looking at The 100 the last couple of weeks. And The 100 is a, a new cricket competition in the UK that has had a, a lot of money ploughed into it. And it's basically on Sky Sports all the time at the moment. So it's kind of unavoidable, even as a non cricket fan it's not just that i don't watch cricket i actively dislike cricket so i am not the target audience but i find it interesting in a number of different ways and they've been they've been using some uh, some new ideas and I'm, i've been wondering to myself kind of if any of those ideas m- might trickle into soccer and one of the ideas is that it includes men and women now it's not co-ed teams per se it's 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 like tennis you know it's it's men's and women's uh, competitions within the, the the one big overarching competition but the results do count towards like an overall table just the same and and I, I find that in, an, an interesting concept I, I do wonder if maybe in some form that could that could work in in soccer in in one day and in, in, in principle like a, a combined world cup I don't know if I would want it to replace the men's and the women's world cup as standalone events but like some sort of combined co-ed world cup we have like a men's team and a women's team having results contribute to a single table like that like that like the 100 competition that that could be interesting okay. i think so it's kind of like a relay race you need both your national teams to do well to qualify yeah i mean i've no idea what the format <laughs> is that feels like a like a messy format to work out a table from that and what happens if one team wins and the other team loses i'm not it might as i say it might be a little bit convoluted but in principle i'd be interested to see how that works yeah joe what do you think about this one and, and particularly the question of which countries would have the leagues to me the u.s would seem like a good candidate given that it's got a very strong women's program stronger than most and a strong men's program too yeah, I first of all, I think this is a bad idea and we shouldn't do this. That's what I that's what I'm leading with. I don't think this is like a a good thing to do. Um I just I think you're asking for trouble in in certain ways. So, in terms of countries that have talent on both the men's and women's side, certainly you look to the US as a, a really big market if you're trying to start up a, a new venture. I think that's an intriguing place to start. You're looking at places like England and places like Germany and places like Spain that have really high level women's national team programs that are on the rise and and really are challenging the longtime favorite of the U.S. women's national team. I think you could have a lot of fun in combining those talent pools. The way that I would do this, and we've talked about this before, I I love the idea of doing like a a small-sided competition. That is, it's for charity or some sort of pro I don't know what what the right structure is either, but you have nations pick a few players from their men's and women's national teams they play in a five-a-side tournament, and you go and, and you donate the money to a worthy cause or something along those lines. I think you could have a lot of fun with that in a smaller environment where a lot of it is more futsal-esque. I think that could be a ton of fun, and it and actually would be really great TV as well. You could publicize the, the crap out of that and have a really good time doing it. So I think that would be fun. Uh, I don't know that I would go a lot further than that personally. Taylor, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I think I took this somewhere in between, probably closer to Joe, because I feel like it would be a an invitational tournament slash league for people who were either about to retire or had just retired. Uh, and I feel like it's a Dubai sort of attraction, though I'm not sure how much they would love uncovered female athletes in shorts. Uh, but the, it just seems like one of those things where you could get maybe a team from Brazil, a team from Spain, a team from France, Germany, and England, and then you just sort of have them all play against each other. And there, there's your one-off tournament, because I think there's plenty of talent there. I don't know if it's 11 aside and it's broken down into 7 and 4, or, or if it's uh, 7 aside and you've got 5 and 2, or what the breakdowns would be. But I think... That's kind of how I pictured it happening, and I think that would be fun because I think it would be cool to see 
some very good players, or maybe it's like in the off season and you get some very talented players coming in for a lot of money. That's maybe, how I could see it could, happening. Maybe you could have a tournament where the you know the men or the women play the first half and then you sub out and then it's the men or the women you know whichever you've started with you finished with the other you have them in the second half i can just imagine like the us wnt in the second half after the the us mnt in the <laughs> first half as four nil down against spain and the us wnt go oh, thanks guys thanks for that and they've got to claw <laughs> that back from four nil down the halftime switch i like that one yeah yeah that sounds fun but also i'm kind of with joe this sounds like something we shouldn't do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be to be honest, like it it wasn't that I want this to happen. I just as I'm Taylor's inv- invitational tournament sounds good. Like I'd mm. I'd like to see it as an experiment. I don't want to replace the World Cup with it because I enjoy the men's and the women's World Cup. Like I I enjoy them as standalone events. So I I don't really want to reduce my own enjoyment by creating one tournament when at the moment we have two. Yeah. I know so this... Graham wants to get rid of the World Cups and he just wants That's this. Yeah. Well, in Scotland, we already got rid of the World Cups. Uh, right. You guys were just ahead of the game. So, I know this question yeah. came from uh, Colleen, but uh, I think we should we should cut them in. We should sort of trademark this idea together because at some point, Jared PK is going to hear about this and try to launch this tournament oh, himself. No. So yeah. we got to get ahead of this one so we can get that money when it happens. Maybe Balloon World Cup is the way to go, though. Yeah, See? I could be See? convinced of this. <laughs> Oh boy, that sounds like a lot of fun, uh, and, and I'm sure. By the way, you guys, said that with no joy in your voice at all. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I think it was because <laughs> the next statement I was about to make is: uh, if FIFA finds a way of making money out of co-ed soccer, then it will actually 100% yeah. happen. And until that point, probably not. I think is the uh, the way things will go there. Khalid, thank you very much for that question. Couple more after this break. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light as air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. Tim Platts, everybody. Tim Platts has the floor. Now that Leeds and Forest have been promoted to the Premier League, which championship club should I root for to get promoted next? The club doesn't need to be an automatic promotion hunt, promotion hunt this season, but the playoff hunt would be nice. I'm looking for a club, says Tim, that has some history, an owner that's not completely evil, no sports washing, and a bright future. Please, no yo-yo clubs. I think I've picked the club that you guys have also picked. Um, Taylor, I think Mm -hmm. the club that Tim should pick is Middlesbrough. I had a feeling that's how a lot of people would go. I've gone a different way. But I think Middlesbrough does make a lot of sense, especially because assuming Tim is American, we've got two Americans playing for Middlesbrough right now. So there's that connection. I do love uh, a a northern club with the industrial background making it back into the Premier League. That would make make me very happy. Mm. Uh, But I don't know much about their playing style or if they would be sort of uh, in that conversation. I believe they're closer to the bottom of the table than the top right now. Well, anything can happen in the championship, and it's early doors, of course, Tay-Tay. Oh, Uh, thank you for saying that, because we should note uh, that... Uh, like it is sort of a rough start to the season. Uh, the top club currently has ten points after five games. It is going to be a slog, though. I think having Tim, the club whisperer, uh, will help this club uh, raise their game because he's effectively asking which club should he work his magic at next. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. So I, I did pick Borough because, as you mentioned, Zach Stefan and Matthew Hoppy there. Uh, Riley McGree also playing there. Uh, Charlotte FC's uh, record Legend. transfer sale, who never played for Charlotte FC. So there's a slight American connection there. I as forgot well. about him. Yeah. That was like yeah. a high point for Charlotte, wasn't it? That was a good moment, I think, all, all things considered. Are you saying it's all been downhill from there? No, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Bar is my pick. Not Joe, downhill. How do you feel? It's just like a gentle slope in the wrong direction. Is that downhill? No, legitimately, Charlotte have done better this year than I thought they were going to. I, do, yes, so we don't I, need yes. to take it any further than that. <laughs> Your thoughts um, are well publicized on just, that, Joe. Yes, I know. I know they are. Uh, okay, so Ryan, I also had Middlesbrough. Not a yo-yo club. I feel like they check all the boxes here. That's that's why I went with them. They're not a yo-yo club. They haven't been to the Premier League since 2016-17. So they've been in the championship for a few years now. They're coached by Chris Wilder who had a ton of fun, or I had a ton of fun watching his Sheffield United teams in the Premier League. You're going you're gonna to think about uh, a back three, lots of possession, some fun tactical stuff with aggressive center backs. Maybe this is just me projecting my love for uh, center backs onto Tim's question. But either way, I think they check a lot of the boxes. Taylor already mentioned Stefan and Hoppy. They haven't started well 
only three points through five games. But that just gives them the comeback narrative, right? That makes it even more fun to root for this team as they climb up the table. Their owner is Steve Gibson, and I, I certainly cannot speak to his character. I do not know Steve Gibson or have never spoken to him. But he's born in Middlesbrough, has been a fan for his entire life. From what I've read, he helped save them from liquidation in the 80s. It seems like he checks a lot of the boxes as a manager from what Tim was looking as an owner, excuse me, from what Tim was looking for. So I I would recommend Tim Middlesbrough and uh, ignore everything that Taylor and Graham say and just agree with Ryan and I. Yeah, yeah. Also, Tim, um, if you're thinking of visiting, go to an away game in London because you don't want to go to <laughs> Middlesbrough. That'd be by the bit of advice. Uh, uh, <laughs> Taylor, I don't think I actually got a pick from you. What did you want to pick, sir? Sunderland. Let's make it happen. Uh, I don't know if they will even be close to uh, the promotion spots. They have him. Alex Neal is their manager. He was sacked by Preston when they were 16th in the championship. He signed by Sunderland a year later. He gets them promoted to the championship. I do not know how long they will stay there, but it is fun to root for Sunderland. They, I don't think they qualify as a yo-yo club because if they do, then that yo-yo was broken for a couple seasons before it decided to <laughs> yo-yo back up. Uh, their chairman is Kirill Louis-Dreyfus. Very distant kin to Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Uh, he owns 41% of the club, but he's the largest individual shareholder. He is the youngest chairman in the English leagues. And they've got some exciting players, including Lyndon Gooch, the American, so there's that connection. They've got Ross Stewart, Scottish forward that I'm assuming Graham has some Ooh. sort of weird familiarity with. Uh, and Ellis Sims, a 21-year-old forward on loan from Everton who has four goals in three games. So he has started the season strong. Sunderland have started the season strong there in the playoff spots i think right now though again very early days who knows what will happen but they've got a a young minority owner who is their chairman uh they've got some some fun players in that team they've got a journeyman manager that would be fun to see somehow in the premier league i would love to see what happened and i think he he played for hamilton academical uh which is a club that i have this weird love for and yet know nothing about just because their name is (laughs) hamilton academical (laughs) <laughs> that's a good name. Um, that's the second Seinfeld reference of the episode, by the way. I do like that. Is it that Louis Dreyfus's were in, or are involved in Monaco as well? Is that right? I believe. I, so. I mean, I th- they seem to be involved in a lot of stuff. I didn't yeah. quite know how like regal and important that family was, but also maybe nefarious at the same time. So you never know. You never know with them. Indeed. Graham, who should we pick from the championship? Who should Tim pick, I should say? So, so first of all, um, Ross Stewart, the Loch Ness dropper, as he's known, is <laughs> a great player, and that is a reason that I could understand why someone would want to support Sunderland on that basis. But Tim, do not support Sunderland, right? That's my bit of advice to you. <laughs> Sunder, that is a lifetime curse. <laughs> they might be doing well this season, but traditionally, Sunderland is, is tough. Good supporting Sunderland. So my suggestion is. Preston North End. Preston North End are one of the most historic teams in English soccer. They were founding members of the Football League. They won the first ever league title in England. How about that for a bit of history? So that's that box ticked. uh, ticked. They were the first team to do the double. They've had truly legendary players like Tom Finney and Bill Shankly, but they have never played in the Premier League. They've come pretty close in the past. I remember kind of the mid-2000s, they were always in the playoffs and, 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 and around that area of the table they've fallen away from that point uh, more recently but they're on the way back up again uh they've got a tidy little ground that isn't too big but it's still big enough to create an atmosphere they've got a young manager who likes to play attacking football in ryan low and until last year they had a billionaire owner called uh trevor hemmings and um 
he actually he actually died last year, and I'm not saying the death of someone is a good as a reason to support a team. But you are. But if you follow me on this, <laughs> the ownership of the club is currently in the hands of his estate. So in a strange way, the club doesn't really have a public facing owner right now. So Trevor Hemmings to me doesn't seem didn't seem in any way to be, um, as Tim puts it, an evil billionaire owner. But he was a billionaire, so if you have uh, if billionaires make you uncomfortable in general, as they do with with me, then strangely, Preston don't have one of those at the moment, even though they do have a rich estate owner. So, oh, and Preston have a, a history of Scot- signing Scottish players. Their nickname back in the day was the Scotch Professors. So there you go. What's not to like? Did- uh, a lot of stuff, Graham. A lot of stuff is not to like from that answer. <laughs> That's a lot to unpack. Everything that just happened there. Graham wow. just advocated for a club that. Uh, never mind, sacked the manager who is now at Sunderland when they were 16th. Uh, very, <laughs> what, their last uh, title was in the in the 50s, I think. They don't have an owner, so who knows what's going to happen there. Great stability, Graham. I'm excited to root for Preston North End. But, that, but that's why it's exciting. They're, they're a historic club that hasn't achieved anything for a long time, and there's a, there's a slim chance of them getting into the playoffs this year. I don't no, think they'll right. get relegated. Spin it, so Graham. That's, that's the upside. Spin it, baby. <laughs> and they've got a dead owner. Uh, or team could just go full chaos and just pick Millwall or something like that. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't no, do that. don't do that. Don't do All right. That. Uh, some good suggestions there, team. Thank you very much for your question. <laughs> one last one from Kenneth Seiden, who says, besides Joe's floating stadium, what is your favorite WTF soccer moment of all time? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? <laughs> okay, I Kenneth. just got roped in there. I mean, that was a great idea. Keep going, Ryan. Kenneth's uh, nomination is when Cesc Fabregas got um, a red card for booting the ball into an opponent's face back in the day. Um, float, can you remind me of Floating Stadium, Joe? Yeah, this was a, a brilliant idea. We had someone with unlimited <laughs> funds. Maybe it was Kenneth. Kenneth, was this you? I'm sorry that I don't remember. I think it was. That was going to give us unlimited money to do whatever we want to build a soccer club from the ground up. And sorry that I took it from the ground up and put my stadium in the air. I feel like it's genius. Anyway, I- I'm just going to go through and give a couple of my WTF moments here, Ryan, if you'll permit me. One is very similar to the Cesc Fabregas moment. It's Kaku kicking the ball directly into the stands right at a fan in 2019. So playing for the New York Red Bulls. I don't know if anybody remembers this. We've talked about it before. Oh, yeah. But he he's upset about a call, and he winds up. And, and to be fair, I don't know that I need to like defend Kaku in this situation. I'm not really trying to. There is an ad board there. So I don't think he's really thinking, and I think if anything he's thinking, I'm just going to kick this as hard as I can into the ad board. But he doesn't hit the ad board. He hits it into the stands and hits somebody. And it is uh, it is a, a weird moment to watch, and you think, why on earth did you do that? Thankfully, no one got hurt, or no one was, was very severely injured. But that is uh, a very strange moment that definitely should not have happened. One other one I'll, I'll posit. Actually, I have two more that I'll, that I'll posit here. One is the Diego Maradona hand of God goal. I feel like this fits squarely into this category of what just happened and why did that? Why was that allowed to happen? 1986 World Cup quarterfinals, Argentina against England. Go listen to Brian Phillips' 22 goals podcast for the whole narrative on this goal. It's it's unbelievable. This goal and the the winding goal that Maradona scored as well in that game against England. Everyone knows this is a handball except for the ref and maybe the English commentator on the radio broadcast or on, on the TV broadcast. And uh, it happened, and it counted, and it shouldn't have, and it's one of the best moments in soccer history. Inconclusive. 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 We'll never know for sure. We'll never know for sure. Calm down, everybody. And my last one is, (laughs) is Russia and Qatar getting back-to-back World Cups? That that feels bad. That shouldn't have happened. (laughs) The end. 
Yeah, you saved the, the, the biggest one to last there, Joe. I like that very yeah, much. Yeah, I did. Um, I did. To bring things back to the pitch and more of the Cesc Fabregas uh, arena, my favourite Premier League moment of all time. Uh, I can't remember. It must have been about 2016 or so. Christian Fuchs taking the throw in at Arsenal and Alexis Sanchez standing in front of him and not permitting (laughs) him to take the throw on. He tries twice. He does the run up twice to take the throw on. And he's looking at the referees going, why isn't this guy moving? Third time, he just launches the ball and throws it straight into Alexis' face. Uh, Sanchez goes down onto the floor. And Sanchez gets booked yep. and there's a free kick for Leicester. That's the best detail of this moment. So Fuchs wins out overall. And uh, Alexis Sanchez posting pictures of his bruised face on social afterwards. That was a wonderful WTF moment for me, Taylor. Uh, love that you still managed to work in a, a, a semi-Charlotte reference there with Christian Fuchs. Well done, Ryan. Hey, you uh, mentioned Charlotte, not me, bud. <laughs> uh, to Joe's one about Russia and Qatar winning their bids, that entire process, obviously the two of them, uh, cloud of suspicion there, but Qatar's bid about how they were going to have underground stadiums with air-conditioned uh, facilities and underground access and they would be able to blow up clouds or whatever it was. Fake that was clutch. odd. Japan, ha- I think in their bid promised that they would have hologram technology so that if your national team were playing, you could go to certain stadiums in your country and watch the hologram of them play. That was in their bid, uh, lest we forget. I'm not sure if that actually would have come to pass, but if so, that was definitely a moment of like, that that cannot be real. I almost want you to get the bid just to see if that can happen, even if it meant the U.S. would not have gotten the bid as a result. But they didn't anyway, so it all works out. But that whole bid process was a little bit WTF to me. Um, another one that made me uh, feel that way in an angry way was the USA's disallowed goal versus Slovenia in 2010. Two references to the 2010 World Cup now. Uh, but that was just complete nonsense. Maurice Du scores a perfectly good goal. If anything, three different U.S. players are fouled. Somehow the goal is chalked off. The referee is not given any more games, is sent home. Then President Sepp Blatter uh, acknowledges problems with officiating, specifically referencing that game. But that was definitely a, a head-scratcher for me. And then on the more sort of absurd side of things, Eric Cantona's Kung Fu kick has to be mentioned, though I did not want experience that one in the moment. But that is a, a you don't really expect to see a player go flying into the stands uh, Kung Fu kicking somebody. Uh, but the two that I did, uh, I do remember seeing uh, live as they happened. Well, one of them sort of is the Zidane headbutt. That remains one of the strangest moments in soccer history, to my mind. One of the best players of all time, ending his international career by headbutting somebody. And the way it happened that the ref didn't see it, only saw it on the replay screen. Still gave the red card, but nobody quite knew what happened. A lot of speculation that something horrific had been said. In the end, I think it was about Zidane's sister or mother. Maybe a frog was mentioned. I forget. Either way, it was a very strange moment. But my number one like WTF moment just for the confusion and uncertainty that surrounded it was Luis Suarez biting Giorgio Chiellini at the World Cup because that was his second biting infraction and I was reading I think I was at work at the time in a record store and I was reading the minute by minute coverage and I remember the writer sort of losing his mind while covering a different game of like we're getting reports in we're getting reports that there's been another bite like it was <laughs> it was covered in such a serious way while talking so about a grown man biting another grown man uh, uh, Taylor, I have to ask, 
you working in a record store, were you like yeah. the Jack Black giving out your top five lists all the time? Is that how, how you did it? Uh, I was the one doing online sales and actively trying not to engage in people who want to have very, very long conversations about how this pressing is, is a blue label pressing, which means it was printed in 1962 and not t- 1963 like the rest of the pressings, which actually means it's worth 20 to Twenty dollars more. So if you all aren't going to price it that way, like maybe you should consider. That's what the kind of conversation I was trying to avoid. It sounds like one you'd like those conversations. <laughs> I, I I feel like that's just a direct insult and also <laughs> fair at the same time. So well played, sir. Well played. Thank you very much, uh, Graham. Any more WTF moments? No one's mentioned uh, one of my favorites, Louis Van Hal, uh, referring to Robert Huth pulling who was it, Marin Fellaini's hair as shakshmashakujum. Yeah, there were a lot of Van Hal moments. I also remember him dive. acting out a dive yeah. on the touchline at, at Old Trafford. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what what game that was. Were they playing Arsenal in that God. game or something? It was. Yeah, I know it was but, in front of Mike Dean, and Mike Dean's just standing. Yeah. Going, what are you doing? <laughs> that was that was a, an all time WTF moment. The Zidane one was on my my list, but for some reason, the first thing that came to mind for me is the somersault throw in by Iran at the last men's World Cup, mm. which was. A true WTF moment in that I, I I couldn't really believe or comprehend what I'd just seen and why you would why you would do that. So Iran are one 0 down against Spain. It's stoppage time at the end of the match and they have a throw in high up the pitch. So it's an opportunity for them to snatch something from that game at a World Cup. It gets the big build up and Milad Mohamedi I had to Google his name uh, has the ball. He's winding up the throw in, but he decides to do a roly poly forward roll throw in rather than just throw it in properly. The referee actually stops him before he can release the ball, but as I say, that was a that was a true WTF moment. What are you doing? <laughs> Indeed. Some good nominations there, Kenneth. I'm sure we could go on with these all day. At least two of us were bloggers back in the day. We probably had to write about this a lot. Um, thank you very much for those questions. Just time for some bonus Joe Lowry content. Bing, ding, 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 ding. David Heinemann has got in touch, Joe, and says... On a recent weekend review, Joe said that the Tuchel Conti dust-up was the highlight of his soccer-watching weekend, but not his weekend overall. So the obvious question is, Joe, what were you doing on that weekend that was better than the Tuchel Conte Royal Rumble? Oh, just Conte's Instagram post afterwards, right? That was a thing where he uh, he he knocked Thomas Tuchel in like eight languages. I think I think that happened. No, I mean I don't have an exciting answer to this question, David. I wish I did. I just try, as a general rule, to have work not be the the thing that I enjoy most over a weekend. I, I don't know. I, I like what I do, and I love getting to to do these shows and to watch games, but. I, I would say probably just spending time with family and friends. I don't think there was much else going on. I had to go back and look at my calendar, and I don't remember exactly what happened that weekend, but I'm confident that it wasn't anything anything too crazy. Did you have, did you have to check your diary, Joe? Do your diary. Yes. What Here's did I do today? Tuchel and Conte I, had a scrap, and yeah. I am... I, am <laughs> I have a theory that every week there's another cultural reference that Joe doesn't understand, and so every weekend he spends those two days catching up. So this weekend it will be... Well, what have we talked about today? Uh, Seinfeld, Seinfeld, the High Fidelity uh, reference in there. So he's going to catch up with all of that over the weekend. And then next week, there will be more references and he has to, it's just a never ending loop. I love that you think I'm trying to catch up, Graham. I really, I like that. I appreciate that. I'm definitely doing that. so the weekend of Conte Tuchel was maybe what, like Arrested Development? I feel like that was that week. <laughs> yeah, we that could be. Arrested Development. So you just watched every series of that, and so your highlight was surely the, what's the best episode of Arrested Development? The episode where Job tries to bury himself alive. I'd imagine that was maybe your uh, your highlight. <laughs> that was the high. Thank you, Graham. I've, I forgot already. I was, I was hoping there'd be a more uh, fruitful answer, Joe. Like, I don't know, 
you went around in a van solving mysteries or you went big game hunting or something like wild. Big so like Scooby, Scooby-Doo or <laughs> exactly. Elmer Fudd? I'm confused. I'm not really, not really getting this. I also well, I, told you before we started that I didn't have a good answer to this question. <laughs> and yet I asked it anyway. It's Here true. Here we are. It's Here true. we are. Uh, thank you very much, uh, everyone who got in touch with questions. Once again, totalsoccershow.com slash questions if you want to ask us one. But for now, Joe Lowry, thank you so much. And sorry that I put you on the spot with that last question. No, you're good, Ryan. Thank you. <laughs> Graham Rutherford, pleasure as always, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And Taylor Rockwell, keep on trucking. You do the same, my friend. Listeners, I'm pretty convinced that Joe is lying and has this like ridiculously colorful life that he's just pretending he doesn't have. Maybe he's he a did go- Yeah, exactly. I think, there, I think there's way more going on. He was, I guess, not protesting too much, but not not protesting too much is what I'm hearing. Mm. You'll never know. <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's a Kaiser Soze situation now. And there's another <laughs> reference for you to look up, Joe. But in the meantime, listen up. Don't, thank you don't so much. Don't look him up. Don't look him up. <laughs> we got to go now, listen. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back on the feed shortly. But for now, bye.